everybody. Welcome into Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's always your host, Evan Sider, and joined by co-host Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at EastSider. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can also follow us out on our Twitter page at LockedOnPHXSuns. This word is very much appreciated, as always. And, Brendan, we're back with you guys after a, really, a double episode with Kellen Wolf yesterday. I appreciate Kellen going all this about an hour. Got a lot of interest still with Kellen yesterday. But in the meantime, we've had a lot of interesting news break between now and then. And we're going to hit off with the Sham Sharani news dump from yesterday where he really covered almost every team in his report on The Athletic. And when you mentioned the Phoenix Suns, Brian, he talked about how the sixth pick along really mostly TJ Warren and Josh Jackson have been aggressively shopped and separate packages. What's your thoughts on that? Makes a ton of sense. And it's something, um, the, the semantics of it are something we're going to get into when we talk about some second round targets. Cause I think as Gambo has hinted at, that might be the route that they go is to use that pick. You know, the easiest way to do that is to, you know, we assume it would be for basically the purposes of getting off those two players salary and the easiest way to do that is to take back just a draft pick or very little salary and a draft pick. And so that could be in this draft or a future draft, but it makes a ton of sense. And it makes a ton of sense to try to do that by Thursday when this draft is in play rather than waiting until free agency when not only are you a little bit hamstrung by how quickly things move at that time of year, but you also don't have, you're at the whim of, whatever contracts those second round picks get that get signed to or whatever players become available. Whereas now they can get out ahead of it a little bit and maybe use a pick in the fifties to draft a two-way player or somebody that they like, which, you know, also makes some of the the names we saw come through for workouts make a little bit more sense. Yeah. I was just about to ask you good timing there. Your thoughts on really and making more sense in my opinion at least now they brought in so many guys in that 40 to 60 even maybe undrafted range because if they were doing that the Suns have the 30 second pick in this draft so maybe they're looking at summer league guys but if they are looking at trading Josh and TJ for maybe late second round picks and maybe getting the two two-way guys in the process of doing that I feel like that's smart investment if they really are trying to preserve that cap space yeah and it's a it's a nice um I think it makes a lot more sense to try to do it now you know, you don't want to keep kicking the ball down the road. You know, you, at least in my opinion, it feels like a smart bet to, you know, if you were able to see some guys this year, you know that there might be some packages available to you for a team that likes one of these two players. I would expect Jackson to get a little bit more traction in a deal like this because he makes less money and is younger. Um, so you, the team feels a little bit more in control of his destiny, whereas TJ's locked in for longer, gets is already getting paid more and is kind of in his prime, early prime already. So I would expect Jackson to be most likely in here. Um, and I think you see those types of trades all the time. Some team that convinces itself that Jackson is going to be better in their system or you know they're going to be the team to get through to him off the court in a way that gets him to buy into more of a role that fits what he's good at right now, which is not handling the ball and all the stuff that we've seen him try to do in Phoenix. So that would be my read on it. How about you? Yeah, that, I agree with that. I think just really the more I was thinking about it, I think you agree with me as well at this point in time. I, I don't think there's any way they pick up the fourth year option on Josh Jackson. I think they're going to have someone, another team make a decision for them because 
Yeah. I, I really don't see why you pick up Josh Jackson, $8.9 million option. You can get a guy like a cheap veteran for maybe less than $5 million, and you can get two guys for the price of Josh Jackson this fourth year. I think it makes an awful lot of sense to decline the option, and he also helps you preserve a lot of money in free agency if he does indeed stay next year. I, I really just don't see – we talk, I talked about this, I believe, on an episode two weeks ago that I really – Josh and TJ at this point in Phoenix are going to be – really stuck in bench bench roles unless they want to go somewhere else. It's kind of, it might be the best for both sides here. Yeah. I think it's unlikely that um, Jackson is even on the roster with how aggressively his name has been out there. And the idea that this, this upcoming season would be his last anyway. So yes, if something doesn't come along between now and training camp, that, is worth using his his value and his salary for, then you're not going to force it. But the, the clock is already ticking on him. And I would expect at the very least that they, they really try to use his salary because it is so big being a number four pick in a trade at the, you know, at the latest of, of next year's trade deadline. So this is just the beginning of it. If he's not dealt before the draft, it's going to be just as many rumors come July and then on throughout the season. I just, you know, this is not the group of people that drafted him. This is not the group of people that, I mean, obviously no one has really seen him meet his potential. He just hasn't done that yet. So uh, don't think the Suns are too attached to him anymore. But what did you make of the number six pick? This has been something we've been trying to track unsuccessfully because it's pretty much impossible to track uh, whether this pick is available. I think we can agree that it is. And what what do you make of the smoke screens? kind of literally daily at this point from one side or the other of these guys are available. This pick is available. No, it's not. Here's exactly who it would be. Here's who it wouldn't be available for. It feels like a lot of posturing, especially as we get closer to Thursday. Yeah, definitely a lot of misdirection out there. Now the recap really what Brendan's saying there, like Sham Sharani reported what he said. And I believe Dwayne Rankin came out with a report three or four hours later saying that none of that was on the table. And like you said, just misdirection season. It's really smoke screen season right now. Yeah, and and Gambo has uh, backpedaled a little bit from some of the aggressive reporting he had done earlier in the draft season, saying that this pick was basically not available for just about any veteran point guard. And now he's he's saying basically it won't be used in a deal for Mike Conley, and it won't be used in a deal for um, Spencer Dinwiddie, but that anyone else he he's not sure about, which seems a little bit. Uh, a little bit colder of a of a take than it previously was. So, um, yeah, tough to tell what's what's real right now. Yeah, that's where I'm really kind of confused by right now. I think that's kind of the way the Suns want it, though, right? I mean, this entire time that James Jones has been the GM, it's been more so. Work. I mean, we always talk about Ryan McDonough, like Cal talked about in yesterday's episode, McNinja, when he just comes out of nowhere and makes a move. But James Jones really just does like working in the shadows here because nothing has really ever leaked out since he's been the interim GM either. Yeah, it's uh, just a different way of doing business, I think. And um, using some misdirection is, is definitely not a bad thing. I think if it, as we said, it's it's going to all, the how, how silly or serious we should take um, this, this posturing and smokescreen stuff that's been going on for weeks now is going to be determined by how successful draft night goes for them. Uh, it, it'll seem kind of silly if they aren't able to do much of anything and or I guess you know that extends all the way through free agency because a lot of this is connected but 
I hope that there is something up their sleeve because that would make it a little bit more understandable why there hasn't been, you know, just kind of the basic level of access on the part of fans and media to what's going on, but they don't owe it to us. And so let's see what happens. I think it's going to be determined in large part by what's going on elsewhere in the league, which is our last little bit of uh, rumor slash reporting going on right before we got on the call here today. Jonathan Gavoni, uh, busy at work this week is probably insane for him, but he not only said that Darius Garland is headed to meet with the Knicks and suddenly a, a legitimate possibility at number three, but also with regards to the third and fourth picks owned by New York and New Orleans, Atlanta is aggressively trying to package eight and 10 to get up there. So obviously the Suns probably aren't going to be involved in any of this, but it certainly impacts who might be available for them. I think the most surprising thing of all of that is the idea that Barrett, who we thought was a top two guy most of the year, suddenly is potentially going to fall to number four. Yeah, it, I mean, to me, it's not that surprising just because I feel like he's kind of been overhyped in the process. Number four on my board that's releasing this week. And but to go behind Garland? Yeah. That, that would surprise me. Yeah, it, it would be. But I could just see why, though, because I think Garland has a higher upside, so to say, with his scoring. Like, if he does actually reach his peak, I think he's like a Damian Lillard type player. RJ Barrett, though, I really don't know what he is. It's interesting just because his tunnel vision really scares me. His lack of really inconsistency really just scares me a lot. I really don't know how to read RJ. What's your thoughts on him as well? Just because I feel like he's a divisive prospect, of course, but if he does get passed on number three and does go four, like you say, it will be very surprising, especially when we talk about this time last year, like let's tank for RJ number one. I, I, I'm i much higher. I think the, the gap between RJ and Garland is pretty big. Um, and maybe, as we've said with Garland several times, and anyone who's followed the draft knows, we just don't have a lot of evidence on one side or the other. So Garland is, I think, benefiting from that. But even with that benefit of really only getting to see these five, four incredible games from Garland, I still feel better about RJ just because of his size, defensive ability, athleticism, all those things. I, I I think his ceiling is is still higher than Garland. But I mean, I don't I let's just quickly address this because I saw a little bit of it on Twitter right before we got on was like Suns fans saying, well, if the if four is available and the Knicks really do take Garland, the Suns Barrett is somebody that the Suns should consider. Do you think it makes it any more likely for them to get involved in a trade up if Barrett falls? Do you think that changes anything? We've really kind of counted out a trade up, but would Barrett make that any different for you? Maybe I'm on the opposite side of things, but really no. I don't think he's a good fit with Booker and Aiden. I just think he takes away really a lot from maybe shots as well. I just don't know how you fit as a third option. I feel like he needs to be a guy who's at least a two or a number one option somewhere. I just don't think he's a guy who'd be com- comfortable being number three option, and it might be a weird situation for him. Like a, Similar to a Josh Jackson, he was always number one, and then he was really struggled to adjust outside the secondary role. But Yeah, I think if Barrett, I think if Barrett was ever going to be on the Suns' radar, they would be seeing him as a, a number two option to Booker. I, I don't think you would. If you have two perimeter guys like that, I, don't, I still don't love the fit. I've said that since probably like December on this podcast that I don't think Barrett is a great fit next to Booker. But I think 
if you if you have two guys like that, he would become your number two option. You're not going to feed Aiton in the post 20 times a game if you have RJ and Devin Booker on on the perimeter there. But it would change the out, outlook of the team quite a bit. But I still just I agree. I don't think it's it's quite worth it just because I'm not excited about the fit. I'm not against adding another guy who would compete with Booker for touches. That doesn't worry me so much. I just think this particular guy, his lack of shooting ability, lack of you know top level defensive versatility there makes me feel like he's not quite the guy that I would pay a lot to go get to pair with Barrett to pair with Booker. And you, you got to have incredible faith if you're going to give up another asset to move up in this draft. Yeah, real quickly as well, I wanted to hit on just the Suns side of things here with these rumors, just because it seems like still I'm, I'm confident that the top five is going to be Zion, Ja, RJ, and then in some order it's going to be Garland and Culver. But Cleveland kind of holds the cards here at five because if Garland indeed does go four, whether it's in a trade or he goes three and someone else gets RJ at four, what happens if they go Kobe White, for example? Because I've seen a lot of mock drafts in the last 48 hours really swing another guard toward Cleveland, like Darius Garland or Kobe White. How would that impact the Suns? Because it seems like from my point of view, they've this is just speculation on my end, they've worked out really officially Jared Culver and Brandon Clark and speculative they worked out Kobe White because he was in it on his Instagram store in a place that seemed like it was Phoenix weather. But I, if they worked out those three guys, Culver's off the board at five, or Culver's on the board of four, so to say, White's on the board of five. I think at that point they trade back for Clark, but I feel like this is a scenario now where it's kind of crystallized, or at least my my point of view, where it's either if Culver's gone, it's going to be White. If it's White gone, it's going to be Culver. If both are gone, it's going to be trade back. What do you think? I think Hunter has a decent... I don't think we should discount him. I just think, you know, based on the need at power forward, I think we... I kind of feel like Hunter fits the 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 type of guy, the type of dude, um, especially having won so much in college. I could see Jones being appealing that that type of player appealing to him. Not somebody we've heard a lot about connected to the Suns, so obviously maybe he's he's kind of a distant favorite at that spot. But I don't think we should discount him. And then I. I feel less certain about the top five than you do. To me, the amount of Kobe White stuff out there right now and the fact that some teams that have been talking to New Orleans are doing so with the intention of drafting White potentially at number four complicates things for me. And also the, the, the Colin Sexton factor of all of it complicates things for me. I think people are overreacting to John Beeline getting hired there and anyone who's watched Michigan in their several tournament runs the past few years, know that he's going to have an offense that's not going to have just one ball-dominant guy running 40 pick-and-rolls a night. He's going to want it to be spread out and people moving, the ball's moving. So that's going to be multiple ball handlers. I understand that, but I still don't feel quite like the Cavs would take a guard. So I I feel like Culver won't fall further than five, but I'm not sure about... Um, you know, who makes the fourth pick and whether that's White or Garland. And then that that changes things for the Suns because I would be, I still feel like I would be kind of surprised if they didn't take Garland. That might, I don't know, maybe all the, the reporting counters that, but with how much hype that guy's getting, for him to fall all the way to seven would just be kind of crazy to me. So maybe the trade back thing is the most likely um, at this point if if it does fall that way because I think Garland just as a value 
shouldn't be falling to seven. So if the Suns, if he's there on the clock when the Suns get announced and we're all sitting there waiting to see what they do, I imagine they're going to be getting a ton of phone calls at that point, even from Chicago at seven to make sure that he he gets in the right hand. So that's a good opportunity. I think from a you know trade perspective, if it does go that way, the Suns have to be pretty happy. With the amount of misdirection, though, I mean, just to close this segment out, do you think that it's at all possible we could just get a complete curveball on Thursday that maybe they view Brandon Clark as the best player at that six range and they actually go with him? Because at this point, like I've been talking about James Jones and the Suns front office, really anything's possible in my opinion. Anything's possible, but as we've talked about and as anyone who listened to our, our Locked On NBA Mock Draft knows, we would maybe do that, but it just feels like they could get him later. So trading back just feels like a something that I would want them to really look into at that point because anytime you can get another asset and get the guy you want, that's great. Of course, we know trades take two teams to get done. And then at that point, you're crossing your fingers that your your own reading of the rest of the landscape of the draft is correct because if you misjudge it and suddenly you trade back and that guy gets swallowed up, you really screwed something up there. So um, I wouldn't just take Clark at six. I, ju- I just think that's that would be a miscalculation, but uh, a lot could change and will change if, if this morning is already any indication. But before we move on to our next segment and talk about some of the guys that the Suns might want to get at number 32 or if they were to trade back into the second round kind of the later part of this draft want to remind you guys about the locked on NBA mock draft just mentioned our pick at number six we also made another pick in the first round that you can go check out on yesterday's episode Monday's episode and we finished off today Tuesday with picks 24 through 30 with Jeremy Wu of SI.com Josh Lloyd breaking down the fantasy perspective and David Locke and I hosting kind of piggybacking on those two to, to break it all down for you every step of the way. So go all the way back to last Wednesday, catch up on all of it. There's five episodes to get you ready for Thursday's draft. Also want to tell you guys, if you're listening to us on the drive back from work or on the way back to home, appreciate that as always here on the Locked on Suns podcast. But if you are listening, tell your smart device to play Locked on Suns and we'll be right there with you for the drive home. Alrighty, Brendan, let's dive into some second round options here. I actually in finishing up my big board that goes to around 35 or 40 guys. And I think there's an interesting batch of guys in that 32 range. I actually like a lot. And I wanted to start off with one guy who I'm really intrigued by the more I watch him. I know you might be lower than him. I think we're both not as high on him as, as Kellen Olsen is at 17 or 18, wherever he has him. But I think Zylan Cheatham is one of the best player available options for the Suns at 32. I'm actually ranked 33 overall. Yeah, I'm not, not quite as high there. Um, And I feel like part of that is just thinking, you know, they probably could get him later. That probably to me, reading, reading the tea leaves here, Cheatham's, we've gotten to see plenty of Cheatham. He's a four-year college player and hasn't really risen on, you know, the reported big boards across the internet too much all year. So to me, he feels like you could get him later than that. So it would feel like a reach, which might be part of the reason that I'm a little bit less bullish, but I also just don't quite know. What role do you envision for him if, if you're thinking of him as a piece who, because he's going to be, I think, 23, probably is going to be able to at least compete against NBA athletes right away and d- deserve some court time. I just don't know where he fits next season on this Suns team. That that would be part of it for me. I don't, you know, he's not a, quite a good enough shooter to play next to Aiton, not 
somebody I really want to trust playing the five right away. That That's part of why I'm a little bit hesitant from the Suns' perspective. Yeah, I think for me, it's hard to say a name or a comp. Maybe you have a, a better idea than me, but for me, it's you throw Cheatham in as like a backup four, and he's a guy that, that brings the ball up the floor sometimes off the rebound. He can do that and then start a set with Booker or pass off to someone else. And he's really just the protector of the rim there. He gobbles up rebounds at a high rate. He can pass when need be, but he's really raw right now as far as passing, but his high turnover rate. Is there a player out there that reminds you of a guy like Cheatham, just a guy who can maybe bring up the ball and start the sets and after rebounds and be a good defender? I I don't know if he's going to be a guy who initiates offense at the NBA level, so that would be part of it for me. I think he's more – I usually just defer to the ringer draft guide because they're really good at these. Um, the one that they have that I would probably – like the best is Jeremy Grant. Yeah, now, like- Grant Grant has turned into like an insane three point shooter relative to what I expected from him. He's not an above average guy by any means, but he's somebody you at least should respect. And he got some respect in the playoffs, made a lot in the playoffs. That is probably a high end for Cheatham, but that's probably where I would be with him is somebody like that. But a guy that I like is I'm trying to not say Grant Williams because I think we've talked about Grant Williams plenty here. Um, let me see. I, I kind of like the possibility. I don't know. I feel like I'm a little bit higher on him, but Admiral Schofield to me is somebody that just to continue to inject some versatility into this team. He's a guy who I could see guarding one through four, maybe not at a high level, but just another guy kind of like we've been talking about with Brandon Clark, Grant Williams, Jarrett Culver, who's just to me feels like a guy you want to bet on getting better and competing and just kind of making it work in the NBA. His position's weird because he's smaller, but he played the four most of the time at Tennessee with their super small lineups. What did you, what do you think of Schofield? I mean, we both got to see him live. We've kind of talked about him a lot with regards to Tennessee, but on this roster, do you think he's somebody that could make sense? Yeah, I think so. In like a 15 minute per game role right away. And then maybe a guy who plays 2025 later on, he, he could, I think he could play two through four in the next level, maybe more so two, three, just because his size. I do like him as a guy, though, who could just space the floor off the bench, who can actually bring toughness. I feel like James Jones values stuff off the court more than we realize. He's a guy who definitely checks all those boxes. And he's a, he was a leader with Grant Williams at Tennessee. So, I mean, if they're interested in Grant Williams, I don't see why they wouldn't be interested in Admiral Schofield. They got, let's say, a late-round pick for a TJ or Josh. For sure. I think the, the shooting will be a question mark. And we, I think one thing we can say for sure is this front office is really valuing shooting. Uh, they brought in guys that almost everybody they brought in was a good shooter, at least at the you know perimeter players that they brought in for those second round undrafted type of guy workouts that we keep hinting at. So to me, that would be a question mark. He shot 42% from three, but a little bit of an inconsistent release. He kind of just looks a little bit erratic when you watch him shoot. They tend to go in sometimes, but only 70% from the free throw line. I would be a little bit worried there. Maybe not incredibly, but him becoming an above average NBA shooter seems not incredibly likely to me. Um, who else do you got? Who who else are some names we maybe haven't talked about that you have an eye on? Yeah, for me, I know we talked talked about Eric Pascal before, so I'll, I'll not do him right now. I'm ranked 31 on my board. I think one guy for me who's a guard, we, have, we don't really talk much about guards on here just because they have two rookies, but if they indeed like a guy like Kobe White, what about Carson Edwards, a guy who I have ranked 35 overall? He did a lot of great stuff at Purdue. He's really small, 
But if he's a guy who, let's say, go for 15, 20 minutes, just your main job is to score, I think he could do that. Yeah, obviously the size is different, but if you're projecting like eight years from now, how big of a gulf would you say that there would be between offensively between Edwards and White? Because I think Edwards is never going to be a good defender. That's just unlikely for somebody that small. No, Pretty much I, impossible. But do you feel like the offensive thing is that big between between Edwards and White? It doesn't feel like it is. They're kind of the same mold, aren't they? Just Kobe White's like five inches taller. Yeah, and I think Edward. I mean, White's a little bit of a better athlete, a little bit uh, obviously more physical because of his size. Like that, that's going to help you on offense, obviously. But yeah, I don't think <laughs> it's funny to think about it that way. You you can't really survive playing Edwards. 32 minutes a night, whereas you might be able to do that with White. But I wouldn't be surprised if White's career goes south and Edwards kind of exceeds expectations if he has a better NBA career. That wouldn't shock me. So not a bad one. And I, I think Okobo and Melton's future here is a little bit tenuous by the minute. So he, I, will, I think we should consider those guys as like a, a roadblock for one of these rookies. All right, here's another one for you. I'm just going to give you the last two guys here in my – 35 that I haven't talked about. Mefiandu Cabangeli at 32. It might be a little lower than some people say. I'm just not a fan of his feel. What do you think about him? I, I think for him as a guy that provides rim protection and maybe a backup, a cheap backup big to eight in long term, maybe that makes some sense if he's there at 32 as a BPA option. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on being a little lower. I, there's been a lot of love for him. So I've, I've watched him twice in the past few weeks. Um, just because I wanted to watch Terrence Mann, some other some other guys, and just happened to watch Florida State, but hadn't really paid too much attention to him. He, I agree with you on the feel. I don't know. I don't know what he becomes at the NBA level if he doesn't really turn things around there. So I, as a second round guy, like whatever, you can give him a one guaranteed year and put him in the G League and see what happens. I would. It's a definite upside bet. I don't hate it from that perspective, and it gives you some some depth at the big man spots. Probably higher ceiling depth there than you're going to get with almost any other guy. But yeah, that that would be a fun one. I would be fascinated to just watch him if the Suns were to take him because uh, I, he's somebody I'm going to have an eye on, even if he doesn't end up in Phoenix. But I, I'll I'll throw one more, and then you can give your last one. Okay. Mine would be Cody Martin. Okay. Um, I just I, I don't know if he's necessarily a guy you would pick at 32, but uh, I think they did bring him in and just a, a solid guard. Like I think he's just going to be a good backup for a long time. Has some size, smart passer, good drive and kick guy. Just can handle a pick and roll. Like he's your stereotypical backup point guard that just survives in the league for longer than anyone expects. I just think if if that's a position that they can get at you know 53 or something if they were to make a, a Jackson or Warren trade and he's just on the roster for a long time backing up whoever their their long-term point guard is that's awesome and I think he can definitely be that for a comp I mean doesn't it remind you more so just like a more polished better two-way version of like a um what's his name Tyler Dorsey I feel like he's a better version of him yeah I, I think Somebody like that, yeah, that, that's that's totally reasonable. I think the size, you probably have a little more optimism that he gets good at defense, but sometimes we just assume that if a guy's big, he's going to be a good defender. I don't think I've ever really closely watched him on defense enough to say that, but yeah, I think that's exactly. We've we've seen the 
Dorsey's another guy who was not a high pick by any means, but already feels like he's just going to be around. And that's what I think Martin would be. Last one here for me, at least in that 32-ish range, is a guy who I think would have been probably a top 20, top 25 pick if it wasn't for his injury, Jonte Porter. What do you think of rolling the dice on Jonte? He's there at 32. I think that's a good one. I think it would be a bet to think that, or really to feel like you know anything um, when it comes to him just in general because of the injury. There were already some questions, a lot of big questions about his defense last year, but an elite playmaker for his position, somebody who I think because of his shooting and ability to attack closeouts could play the four next to Aiton. I think he's going to be an undervalued guy in this draft, even with the weak draft class, just because people are going to have a lot of questions. He tore his ACL twice over the course of nine months. So that's that's a tough one. People should go check out Paolo Ugetti over the, at the ringer, profiled Jonte, and it's a cool story. He's a cool guy to talk to. I wrote a little bit about him, but Paolo expanded upon it a lot. So that's a good one. And I think he could be on the on the Suns' radar, I think that's a an interesting one. We know how much they're valuing shooting, and they don't really have any guys in the front court right now who can do that. I just want to mention one more name that I think there's no way he's there, but I think he was going to go in that late first round range, and if he does indeed just slip for some reason, I think the Suns are going to gobble him right up. Cam Johnson of North Carolina. I have ranked 23 on my board. If he's there at 32, he's the perfect guy. I think James is going to love. Yeah, I agree. Um, David Nash said that on their show too, which I agree with. If he's if he somehow falls out of this first round, the NBA made a mistake. I have him 16 on my board, and I might even have him higher after that. I just think in a weird class, somebody who can shoot the ball like that from every level and have that type of feel on offense is awesome. I think he's going to be a really fun NBA player. I hope he lands on a team where he can play and compete in the playoffs right away. Yeah, uh, I saw he actually had a report today that he had a prep right at the Warriors. So imagine him going to Golden State. That'd be a perfect fit for him. I mean, they, yeah, that, that they're they're crossing their fingers that he that he falls that far right now. Yeah, exactly. Before we go on though to our next segment, which will be close things out on some latest reports and what could happen with Josh Jackson, T.J. Warren, maybe some final thoughts before the draft on Thursday. I want to tell you guys really quickly to subscribe if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast at, and give us a review. Whatever your thoughts are. We'll read them off. If you have any questions, we'll read them off. We want to be more interactive with you guys, our listeners, our loyal listeners, Locked on Sun. So if you haven't already, subscribe to us a five-star review. Drop in a question. We'll be sure to answer it. Along those same lines, if you have a local business, if you know someone who has a local business, go ahead and reach out to us. We have a email account now that is LockedOnPhoenixSuns at gmail.com. Check us out there. Go on Twitter, whatever way you want to get a hold of us. If you would like to advertise on our show, we would love to have you. We'd love to talk further, um, give our listeners a taste of what's around the valley or what's around the you know general area that they actually live rather than the national ads all the time. So we would love to do that for you guys to personalize this show, as Evan said, even more. So reach out if you are interested. All right, Evan, what is, what's catching your eye? Maybe we can close out with a little bit of a shorter segment here, but what, I mean, maybe just across the league like we kind of hit all the sun stuff but this draft is shaping up to be pretty wild is there anything that you just are looking at that's like a surprising connection between player and team or a trade that you think might happen or something like that that could really impact the way that the whole thing shakes out when it's all said and done I know this is probably hard to answer because I don't know if you'll know the answer either, but I wonder what the most trades in the first round in NBA history are because I feel like we're going to have a crazy first round on Thursday. I feel like there's going to be maybe four or five trades 
in the lottery. Like there's going to be so much movement. I feel like maybe at four, it starts at four. Then it goes, I think five has a good chance to be moved. Six has a good chance to be moved. If the right deal comes about for the Suns, I think seven could move even 10, nine, 11. I mean, all those teams in the range talk about moving up or down. So I think that's what I'm looking at is there's going to be a lot of movement on, on people's boards. I don't think a lot of people realized this time last week or a month ago or so ago, because I just think it's going to be an absolutely crazy draft. And I think there's going to be maybe movement we never even expected coming. Yeah, it sounds obvious to say this, but one of the things that I think will make it particularly interesting, you combine the fact that it's a weird and weak draft class. I think that's part of the reason that there is so much movement projected to happen. I think the other angle of that, though, as I said, kind of sounds obvious, but we don't know what the teams that will trade up want. So we've spent all these months talking about, oh, you know, this guy's a fit in Charlotte. This guy would be awesome. Oh, the Hawks can take a guy at eight and 10. I wonder what that opens up for them. And then all of a sudden we could be sitting there Thursday and a completely different team than we were expecting is suddenly making a pick in a spot we never expected. And they have a whole other set of priorities and, and, uh, and, you know, they are not the teams who have been bringing these guys in for workouts where we can follow along the rumor mill every step of the way. So that's going to throw a wrench in it. If an unexpected trade goes down and a team just reaches or takes a player we weren't expecting to go in the late lottery or, you know, as far as top as high as the top 10, then that really changes the calculus of the rest of it. I think the 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 early 20s to me, there's a lot of intrigue there. So Boston has 20 and 22. And Woj continues to say he doesn't expect the Celtics to want to take three rookies. And they also have 14. That's the third one. And then the Thunder are actively shopping their first round pick to get off some of their bad salary between Robertson, Schroeder, and Steven Adams. And then at 23, the Jazz might want to move that pick to get some salary relief. That might be involved in a Mike Conley trade. So... I think that area is fascinating to me between 20 and 23, those four picks. I think it's a pretty good bet that one of those could move. And we've talked about the Suns trading up. So if we want to put a Suns angle on it, that would be an area where I think the Suns could jump up into and not to show our hand with the mock draft that we did, but that's what we ended up doing. Yeah. I think really the sweet spot as I'm looking at, I'm going to add in this one point as well. I feel like guys like, Obviously, I'll save your opinion on these prospects if you want to, but guys like Lugan Stewart, Rui Chimura, Kevin Porter, Romeo Langford, Nasir Little, I think these guys are going to be really overdrafted. I think they're going to go like in that lottery to early teen range or for Dort, maybe like late teens, just because I feel like some guys are going to bank on that potential. I'm really not high on those guys either. I think it's going to push some of the good talent, like a Grant Williams, a Tyler Hero, Goga Batadze, Chumo Kiki. P.J. Washington, Matisse Thibel, Bulbul, Cam Johnson, all these guys in that 18 to 24 range. I think that that really is the sweet spot of this draft. I think, yeah, Hachimura, um, Kevin Porter Jr., and Nasir Little are all good bets to get vastly overdrafted. Um, I think Kevin – I'm actually pretty decently high on Kevin Porter. I don't think – I mean, I don't have him in like the second round or anything like that, but I think he's somebody who could potentially go in the top 10, and so – that would just be a lot. I have him at 20 right now. It might end up a little bit higher for me, but that would be a surprise. But um, yeah, I think I think the Suns, the, to bring it full circle, the, the smoke screens and misdirection and whatever word you want to put on it, the lack of information out there regarding the Suns' plans is intentional and also 
I just, I, I was telling my girlfriend yesterday about last year was pretty easy when we covered the draft because we knew it was going to happen. I mean, we got the Mikhail Bridges trade. That was unexpected, but uh, not incredibly groundbreaking otherwise, right? And then we kind of felt like we had a decent idea of what they would do at 31. This year, between everything else going on, we have no idea what the Suns are going to do. It's just going to be a far crazier thing. So um, hopefully you guys are, the Suns are having another draft party in the arena. I'm sure it will be an insane night there to be around a bunch of Suns fans and see this happen in real time. So I would recommend going there. And we are going to be down below you um, in the, the bowels of the arena in the media room following along as well. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, a super fun night. And really playing alongside those lines of just the Suns-related angle there. If they can get in that 18-24 range for a guy like Grant Williams or a Chuma Okiki or a Cam Johnson, they traded Josh Jackson, for example, I wouldn't mind that at all. You move 32 in Jackson, if they want to get off that salary, save a few extra million dollars, I feel like that makes some sense there. But I think as we're closing things out here, Brendan, what's your final thoughts? We're obviously, we're going to have an episode tomorrow diving in more on the draft. But what do you think about – the percent chance that we see one or both of Josh Jackson, TJ Warren traded within the next 48 hours. Yeah, we're going to do an episode tomorrow, probably a mock draft unless something insane happens. So this is kind of our last little thing, huh? Um, I would say it's like I said at the beginning, more likely Jackson gets traded. I would put the, the chances of him getting traded probably, I would say 50-50. Um, and then Warren a little less than that. But that's more of a, just a lack of information. We only have a couple reports indicating that that could happen. We also have a couple reports saying it won't happen. So it feels hard to say it's a, a likelihood, but it's probably what I would do for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I agree with you. I think more so Jackson's a guy who might get moved on draft night just because he still has value from only being two years in the league. But TJ Warren, I think more so is a guy who might get traded first week of July or second week when maybe the Jazz or the Pacers or some other team they need to stretch for swings and misses on some big free agents like a Tobias Harris, for example. I think that makes an awful lot of sense to do it then. But anything else you wanted to close on, Brian, as far as the draft goes? Because like you mentioned, if we are doing the mock draft tomorrow, it's probably the last time we get our predictions in. No, I'll, I'll throw them out there tomorrow. I'll, I'll fit them in if I come up with anything wild. But I really have no idea at this point. So it feels like whatever I say will just look, in, will just look stupid by – Thursday at like seven. So I'm not going to get anything too wild on the record here. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy night on Thursday. Between then, we'll have a mock draft for you guys going through the lottery. I think it's going to be really interesting how that's going to shake out. But until then, guys, appreciate you listening here on Locked On Suns. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow for